A few years ago when I was working in Annapolis, I met this guy named Seth Moody. And I actually met Seth while I was working at a church. Seth served in what we called Adventure Kids in the children's ministry there. Seth is, give or take, 6'2", 225, bald, and tattoos all over his neck. And at first glance, when you meet Seth, he's kind of an intimidating guy. He's a little bit quiet. He's a little bit shy. He kind of sits in the corner like this all the time. And so when you first meet him, you're, you're a little bit nervous. But deep down inside, Seth is a big softie. And one of the reasons why he, he served in children's ministry is because he, he loved serving with third through fifth graders. And when I got to know him, I learned a little bit why. Like, why do you do this every Sunday? Why do you show up early to serve with these kids? What he would always say is that when he was a child growing up, he had a rough childhood. And so this was an opportunity to, to provide support, uh, to be a male role model, and to love on kids um, that were third through fifth grade in ways that he didn't have growing up. As I got to know Seth a little bit better, I found out that uh, his childhood growing up was rough. His dad struggled with alcoholism and anger. He was mostly raised by his mom, but even that was a struggle because he has a, had a sister who battled mental illness, so most of the attention went to her. Overall, Seth would say that he didn't really love his childhood. And so when Seth got married to his wife, Meredith, one of their dreams was to adopt. That their goal was to get married, um, have a few kids, and one day adopt because their hope was that they could raise a child and give a child a home that he didn't have. But a few years into their marriage, that feeling of adoption that they thought would come 10 or 15 years down the road, that push towards adopt adoption started to get stronger and stronger. And so after they'd been married for three years, they started the adoption process. And in case you didn't know a lot about that process, typically what you do is you have to go to some classes, uh, you learn about how to raise, the, raise a child, um, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually as well. And then once you graduate you, and you're certified to adopt, you actually get a form. And on this form, you can fill out uh, exactly what type of adoption you're trying to have. And so they ask questions uh, about age. What age are you looking for? What gender are you looking for? Are you open to adopting a child that has health problems? Or are you open to an open or closed adoption? And so they're going through this questionnaire and they're clicking things off and they're trying to figure out, okay, like wh what, what is the answer to these questions and what do we do? And one of the questions that was asked on the forum was if they were interested in adopting multiple kids. And, and specifically asked, would you be willing to adopt siblings? And so Seth and Meredith saw the question, and, and their hope was just to adopt. And so they said, sure, we'd be interested in adopting siblings. Like, whatever God wants to give us, we'll, we will take and we will care and we will love that kid. Within a few days of them filling out the form, they got a phone call from the organization they were working with. On the other end, someone asked, when you guys said yes to siblings, did you really mean it? And Seth and Meredith never thought this was possible, but let the organization know that if his brother and his sister, they would certainly pray about it. And they would certainly give it, a, give it an opportunity to figure out if this was right for them. The next day, they got another phone call. What about three siblings? I remember sitting down with Seth the next day and talking through this idea and this prospect of them adopting three kids. And the majority of the morning was spent laughing. This idea that they would go from zero kids to three kids overnight, we, were, we, we both thought this is hysterical and probably not something any sane and normal person would do. So Seth and Meredith told the organization that they would pray about it, but they weren't really sure that was right for them. Later that day, they got another call. What are your thoughts on four siblings, they asked. And so Seth and Meredith told them, give us a weekend, <laughs> give us a few days. They came to church that Sunday with that question running through their mind. What about 
four siblings. Every person they shared the story with laughed at just how crazy that idea was. But slowly, Seth and Meredith began to wonder if it was possible. Later that night, they contacted the organization to learn more about these kids. They found out that it was three boys and one girl. They had recently been pulled from their home and placed into two foster homes in different counties so they didn't have the opportunity to see each other. And the more Seth and Meredith heard about these four kids, the more they fell in love. Four months later, Seth and Meredith were driving up to Ohio to pick up all four of these kids. And in one weekend, their family went from zero children to four, ages four through eight. As I was with Seth and Meredith as they walked through that journey and adopted those kids, there is no doubt in anyone's mind that knows this couple that they are just incredible human beings. They have done something that most of us maybe think we might eventually do, and usually it's just one. (laughs) But every time you ask Seth and Meredith why they did it, Every single time you say, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you put that stress on you? Why would you adopt these four kids? Why would you take them in? And every single time, this is what they say. If it wasn't us, who would have done it? And Seth and Meredith now share their story, and they talk about how they saw this need. It definitely wasn't the need they thought they would fulfill. It definitely wasn't a need that they ever dreamt about or even prayed about before it was put in front of them. But they saw this need, and they were burdened by it. And every single time, the reason why they, they say they felt that burden, and the reason why they acted, is because of Jesus. Today, we're in week two of our series, Jesus Is, and we're going through the book of John, and today we're going to be in John 2. So if you have a Bible, smartphone, open it up, turn to John 2. It'll also be on the screen so you can read it as well. And during this series, we're actually looking at the characteristics of Jesus. And specifically, we're not focusing on the godly aspects of Jesus or even like the deity of Jesus. We're looking at the characters that he exemplified and that he showed people as a human being. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was equally both. He was perfect in both. And the reason why he was perfect and equal in both is because that's what we need in our lives. We need equal amounts of grace and truth. And today, we're going to be talking about how Jesus is impacted by our burdens. And we read this in John 2. A little bit of backstory before we read John 2, starting in verse 13. So Jesus is taking a trip to Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover. Passover is an eight-day celebration of when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and they escaped slavery. And so every year they celebrate this, this, this holiday. And, and this holiday is this idea that this was yearly when God would free his people from the sin that they had had over the last year. And so Passover is a really big deal in Jewish culture. And Jesus, who was a Jew, went to Jerusalem to celebrate this holiday. And we pick it up and pick up this story in John 2, starting in verse 13. And this is what happens when Jesus approaches the temple on Passover. John writes this, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So before Passover ever begins, Jesus shows up in the temple, and what's happening is these exodus of people, these people are actually coming in to to Jerusalem to be here during this time. And so there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of people coming to this temple to celebrate Passover. And Jesus goes to the temple, and what he sees 
It's people selling animals and people exchanging money. And the reason why this was happening was because in order to atone for your sins before Jesus died on the cross, what you would have to do is you'd have to buy an animal and you'd have to do a sacrifice. And so these people would set up like kiosks throughout the temple and they would sell animals and they would change money. People coming from foreign lands would have to change their money over so that they could use the right currency. And ultimately, this whole process was something that was made to be difficult on purpose. The people inside the temple chose to make it difficult and they created barriers so that the people coming in had a harder time making sacrifices and atoning for their sins. I think the modern day example of this is the MVA. It's the worst. Last fall, uh, Ray and I, we sold a car to her brother and bought a used car. And so I actually took a whole morning. I was like, we're going to get this done in one day. This is going to be a gift from God. It's going to happen. And so I took off a whole morning, and I went to the MVA, and I began to fill out the forms. And, I, and if you've been to the one here, you go to that kiosk, they give you the forms, and you go and you fill them out. And so I get my forms, and I start to fill them out, and I begin to wait. And about 45 minutes in, my number's called, and I head to the kiosk. And I go to the kiosk, and I say, here's my forms. And the guy looks at me and goes, those aren't the right forms. And I say, well, that's, those are the forms that he gave me. He goes, got to go get the new forms. So I go back up to the kiosk and I get the new forms. And he's like, hey, here's your new forms, but also you need this, this, and this. Do you have this and this? And I was like, I don't have those. He's like, you need to go home. <laughs> so I grabbed the new documents, the ones that I needed to fill out. I went home and got the new forms and documents I needed to come in, went to the kiosk, got my number, waited in line, 45 minutes, eventually went up to the front and said, hey, here's all my stuff. I think this is it. And he goes, you're missing the tags. And I was like, I don't even know what, I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, when you sell a car, you have to turn in the license plates. And I was like, I've never heard of that before, but I can figure that out. And so I get home that day. I realize we're not gonna, this isn't going to happen today. So I call up uh, my wife, and I was like, hey, you need to tell your brother to turn those tags in. And she's like, yep, absolutely. He'll do it right away. And so we began to wait and wait. And a week became another week, became a month. And eventually a month in, we're driving on no tags on one vehicle, and he's driving on our tags in Tennessee somewhere else doing who knows what. And finally, I was like, okay, you need to turn these things in. And so we give him a call again. We're like, hey, this is really important. Please turn these tags in. And so he says, it's done. I did it. And so again, I take a morning off, and I'm like, I'm going to go to the MVA. I got my forms. I got my documents. I know how to do this. This is going to happen. So I walk up to the kiosk. I get everything I need. They give me my number. 45 minutes later, I'm in line. I go to the front and say, hey, the tags are turned in. Here's my paperwork. And he goes, I've got good news. You've got your paperwork. I've got bad news. Your tags weren't turned in. And at that point, I've been to the MVA. I think this was like the third or fourth time, and I was like, I need you to give me tags. I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Please do it. And he was like, so here's the deal. Uh, and if you've ever been through this before, you know that if you don't turn in your tags on time, there's a fine. And so you have two options, turn in the tags or pay a $300 fine. And I was like, so what happens if I don't pay the $300 fine? He goes, well, you could get pulled over and pay a $300 fine. I was like, this seems impossible, so I'm just going to pay a fine. So I paid the $300 fine, I got our new tags, and went home. The reality is I never want to go back to the MBA. But this is kind of what the temple was like at Passover. You show up, you think you have what you need to atone for your sins, you think you have the right money, you think you have the right amount of money, but people just kept putting up barriers, and so they would change their money over here, they would skim a little bit off the top, and you'd go to buy the cattle, and they would say, sorry, you don't have enough. And eventually you'd go and you'd say, okay, well, I'm going to buy the lamb. You go to the lamb and say, oh, sorry, you need, you need more than that. And finally you end up buying a dove. And the reality is you didn't want to use a dove. You wanted to use the cattle, but you didn't have enough money. The whole time these kiosks and these people are stealing more and more from you. And the whole time this is happening, Jesus is watching. And the whole time this is going on, Jesus is seeing how difficult it is for his people to be in the presence of God. On a side note, it is so good that we don't have to do that anymore. 
We don't have to sacrifice animals on behalf of our sins so that we can be made clean for one year just to do it all over again. When Jesus came, he abolished this form of atonement for our sins. Jesus became a perfect sacrifice for us so that we don't have to come to the temple on Passover and exchange money to buy animals to sacrifice them. Jesus took care of all of this for us when he lived a perfect life and died on a cross for our sins and rose from the grave three days later. That way we don't physically have to pay for it. We don't have to wait in line and deal with people trying to keep us away. And it's so good that today we don't have to do that and all we have to do is simply accept the free gift of grace that Jesus offers. That all we have to do is allow Jesus to be the leader of our life, to be baptized, and Jesus will atone for those sins for us. It's so good that it's just so much easier now. Back to the story. So while this is taking place, Jesus is watching and he's in the temple. And he's witnessing the fact that people are being hindered from experiencing God. He's witnessing the fact that people are being taken advantage of. He's witnessing the fact that money changers are skimming off the top and they're hurting people who don't have a lot of money to start and they're hurting people that aren't from that community. And Jesus is watching this thing happen. And here's what Jesus did in John 2, 15 through 16. So he made a whip out of cords and drove, out, or drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get those out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus was upset. He was so upset that he made a whip, which is just really bizarre because you're wondering, like, how long did that take? Like, was this a water to wine thing where he's like, whip, you know? Or was it like, I'm going to actually take my time and maybe take a breather, or maybe while he's doing it, he's seeing more injustice happening. But the reality is he decides to take a whip, and he goes into the temple, and he tries to clean it out. And a lot of people, you'll read this story in church, and a lot of times we use this story to kind of justify anger. Like, I'm angry all the time. Jesus was angry, so therefore, it's the same thing. We like to call that in the church righteous anger. It just makes us feel better about it. And the reality is Jesus was frustrated. He was upset. We see it. He turned tables over. He, he made a scene. He drove people out. But the question is not, you know, why, why anger? The question is why was he so upset? And the reason why Jesus was frustrated is because he felt a burden for his people. Jesus saw money changers getting in the way of people experiencing God of people experiencing freedom and forgiveness and grace. Jesus saw people being taken advantage of, people who didn't have much being taken advantage of and their money being stolen from them. And Jesus responds because he's impacted by our burdens. Do you believe that? I I really genuinely hope you do. Some of you today feel those burdens. And maybe, maybe it relates. Maybe you feel the burdens of not being able to experience God because people have gotten in your way. Maybe it's just the burdens of life. The reality is we're about to hit this season where you have this weird mix of pure joy and pain. And maybe it's the burdens of the bills that are starting to pile up or family decisions. Where do we go for these holidays? How do we start our own traditions? Maybe it's the burden of the reality of the season that we're in where all you think about are the failed relationships that continue to haunt you. Ultimately, no matter what we're going through, they're, they're burdens. 
Some days they hit harder than others. Some days they're easier to work through. But the good news in all of that is that Jesus feels our burdens and they impact him. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? If I'm going to be honest, this was probably a top 10 worst week I've ever had in my life. Like, really. I, I'm so weary. I'm burdened. I feel it. I got that extra hour of sleep last night. I think the total I got was four. <laughs> I was actually hanging out with some friends yesterday, and we're just sitting around, and one of them goes, you look worn out. I was like, yeah. Yep, I feel that. And Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest. And I believe him. And I believe that's true because story after story that we see about Jesus every single time, you see he is impacted by the burdens that are in our life. He is impacted by the things that hurt us. He is impacted by the things that force us to lose sleep or or keep us distant from other people. Jesus is impacted by those things. And so the first thing to know today is that Jesus is impacted by your burdens, the weight that you feel, the struggles that you have. They matter to him. And the second thing is this. If Jesus is impacted by our burdens, then as the church, we need to be impacted by the burdens of those around us. The question is, how do we do that? The reality is Jesus says, come to me and I can give you rest. We cannot give rest to other people in the way that Jesus can. We cannot give the ultimate amount of hope and grace that Jesus can. All we can do is point people towards that rest, towards that grace, towards that truth, towards that hope. And the way we do that is by being a group of people that care for our community in such a way that Jesus would. There's a book called Faithful Presence by David Fitch. And it, this whole book is about how Christians and the church choose to engage the world. Like, how is the church and how are Christians interacting with the world? And it talks about the problem that most people have with the church, is that most people ask the question, does this church have anything to offer a world, a world full of pain and a world full, full of burdens? The book talks about, can the church reach out to the community and the world around them in a way that doesn't judge them or alienate them? Can the church actively engage the hurting, the poor, the broken? And so people ask, can't we do all of this better without the church? And David Fitch says, part of the answer, and not the whole answer for those questions, is for the church, for people that make up the church, to have what he calls a faithful presence in the community. And here's what he writes. He says, Faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that he uses a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. He says, When the world or when the church is is this faithful presence, God's kingdom becomes visible and the world is invited to join with God. Faithful presence is not only essential for our lives as Christians. It's how God has chosen to change the world. I'll say that last part again. It's, God, it's how God has chosen to change the world. And so one thing we want you to know at Collective is we take that very seriously. And the reason why we take it seriously is because we're impacted by the burdens that our neighbors have, 
that our friends have that our city feels. It's one of the reasons why we ask you guys to put prayer requests down because we feel those burdens with you. And we believe that the church was created to change the world. And that starts with being impacted by burdens and doing something about it. Did you know that there are 13,000 students in Frederick County that are food insecure? This means that 13,000 kids hear that final bell every single day, and they go home where they aren't sure where their next meal is coming from. 13,000 students. 600 of those kids go to this school right here every single day. This is one of those burdens that we feel as a church. As a church that meets in a school, this is a burden that we feel every single day. One of the things that we told this school when we came here was that we don't want to just rent your space. We don't want to just rent it, show up on Sunday and disappear, and we don't want it to feel like we were never there. We want to be a church that's for this school. And one of those burdens that they feel is how do they feed those kids? This is one of the reasons why we raised $10,000 before we ever launched the church to do that generosity feeds event. We packaged 10,000 meals, and we're ending up delivering 13,500 meals to this community. We did this before this ever happened because we wanted our community to know that before we ever did worship, before we ever had Sunday morning, before we ever put the lights on and put the drapes up, before we ever did that, we felt the burdens of this city. Child hunger is a burden that we feel. And it's a burden that Jesus feels. And so today we're going to do something about it. <laughs> when you came in today, you might have noticed a table full of reusable grocery, grocery bags right by our pallet wall. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking to Tracy Wedge, who's the community liaison here at this school. And we sat down with her this week and said, hey, this is the worst time of the year for kids with food insecurity, especially in this school. There are a lot of kids that will go home over Thanksgiving break and they'll get on a plane, they'll fly with their parents somewhere, and there's still a large group of kids in this school that don't have anything. It's one of the weird mixes of being a downtown church and being in a downtown school. And so we sat down with Tracy this week and we said, okay, what can we do? What, what, what do you have for us? What, what can we do to help this burden that you feel? How can we help love these kids? And she told us that there are 40 families that are going to struggle with food this Thanksgiving because the majority of them are struggling with homelessness. And while they're in transition, and a lot of them have a place to stay, the reality is food, and their list of priorities isn't number one. It's figuring out where do we sleep tonight? Where do we go tonight? And so with these 40 families and the burden that they feel, we've decided that it's collective's job to be the solution. And so as you leave today, our connections team in the lobby will be handing you a reusable grocery bag. And inside that bag is a list of food that you can buy to buy a meal for a family here at this school. And we're going to ask that every single person takes a bag. And, and honestly, guys, it'll cost you about 10 to 12 bucks if you go to Wegmans. It's 10.92. We went and we figured it out. We, Collective, has actually partnered with lo local grocery stores, and the turkeys are being given to us, so we don't have to deal with that. We're just asking you guys to collect food so that we can make full meals for these families. And so grab the bag this week, and our hope is that you come back next week with the food in there. And the reality is, guys, there are more than 40 people in this room, and we get that. And so that doesn't mean, eh, somebody else will do it. That means we're going to carry more of a burden. Because the reality is, although we want to feed these kids at Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming up. 
Tracy has a pantry that literally stands right here underneath of us that is empty right now that needs food. And so for every can that we get, everything additional is going to that pantry to feed those kids beyond just Thanksgiving. And the best part about all this is that these aren't just the kids that go here. These are families that Tracy knows personally because she works here. She has personally set this up with those families to say, hey, there's a church that meets in this place that you don't even know, but they love you, and they want to take care of, care of you. And so our hope today is that we put a big dent in that. Our hope today is that those families who are wondering where their meal's coming from, they found out this week that, hey, we've got it covered for you. This is one of the reasons why we always put on our social media that we're a church that's for Frederick. We're not just a church that loves this city and thinks it's really cute or loves the bars. The reality is we love all of those things, but we also want to be a church that's for this city. And one of the burdens that we see and one of the burdens that we feel is child hunger. And the reality is this won't solve the problem, and we know that. It won't go away, but at least it'll be one less thing that those families have to worry about at Thanksgiving. Over the last week, we've teased you guys about two big things this Sunday, and so that's the first big thing. The first big thing is that we're going to love these kids in such a way they never expected it and love this school and Tracy in such a way that lives are changed. The second big announcement is this. In Acts 1.8, uh, this is what Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, in this moment, is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the people that say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he's saying, you guys will be my witnesses. When I'm gone, it's on you to move this church forward. And when he talks about Jerusalem, that, he's talking about local context. They were either inside Jerusalem or just outside Jerusalem when he's saying this. He's saying, listen, you're going to be my witnesses right here. For us, that's Frederick. For us, Jesus is saying, hey, you're my witness right here in this county, in this city. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you'll also be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. He's saying, we're going to go a little bit further than Jerusalem. We're going to go a little bit further, and you're going to show people who Jesus is. And then he finishes, and he says, into the ends of the earth. And Jesus, in this moment, is telling his church that it is their job to be his witnesses. It is their job to feel those burdens. It's their job to go and tell everybody the good news that Jesus came. You don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. You don't have to atone for your own sins. Jesus will do it for you. And he's saying, this is your job, not just here, not just in your county, not just in your state, but all over the world. And I think sometimes we want to focus just here, and the reality is God's scope is so much bigger. And there are people who are experiencing burdens all over the world that we don't even know exist. And so one of the things that we did this summer as a church, we actually took 10 people to Haiti. We took 10 people before the church ever existed, which those 10 people who went were insane, by the way. We're like, hey, we're a church kind of not really doing anything, but you should come to Haiti, a third world country with us. Come on. And 10 people were like, we're doing it. And so we brought 10 people to Haiti, and we called it a vision trip. And the, and the idea was this. We're not going because we think we have anything to offer. We're not going because we think we have resources. We're not going because we think we're better than that community. We're going because we want to learn. And we wanted to learn, how do we support you in meeting the needs and burdens of your city? And so while we were there, we began to build relationships with, with Haitian people and, and Haitian organizations. And I want to show you a little bit of what that trip looked like. We're going to play a video.
so our big announcement is that we're going back. We're going to go to Haiti next summer, June 23rd through June 29th, and we want you to come with us. Um, <laughs> you can clap. It's good. There are so many stories we can share with you about our experience there, uh, about the, the needs that those people are meeting. Uh, in the video, you saw these two, uh, three men, actually, uh, Pastor Pepe, Pastor Just Me, and Pastor Billy. And these are guys that, as weird as it is, they're in their 30s, and they're planning churches in Haiti. And what's really cool about this and this opportunity is we don't go and partner with an American organization that tells Haiti what to do. We actually go and partner with a Haitian organization and say, what do you need us to do? And so this summer, we have an opportunity to go back and serve alongside them. They actually planted a church. We went this last summer, and two weeks later, they started a church. And what's crazy is their church services are three hours long, by the way. (laughs) Some of you are like, that's great. Some of you are like, no, thank you. And the thing is, we feel like Collective is uniquely made to go and spend time in that community because we understand what it's like to be a new church trying to meet the burdens of a city. We understand what it's like to get up every single Sunday as a very young church and wonder, are people coming today? And so we don't just feel like this is a partnership where we can go down there and benefit them. In fact, when we came back, we talked about how much it benefited us, and we've talked about sending leaders down to learn from them to figure out, how do you love a community? We feel like we do it well here. How do we do it better? And so if you are interested, we would love for you to come with us. And we know there are a lot of details, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's June. Like, what, what am I going to do? So here's the deal. There's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby at the Get Connected table. If you want to know more information about it, just fill it out. It doesn't lock you in. It doesn't say you have to go. Uh, eventually in December, we're going to have a meeting, and we're going to talk about what this looks like and what we do and how we're doing this. Because ultimately, our goal is to go back every single year. And our hope isn't just to provide relief while we're there, but figure out how do we support them? How do we support this church? How do we support these people who are trying to show who Jesus is to their community? How do we support an organization who's impacted by burdens that we didn't even know existed until we showed up? And so I would encourage you, if you're wrestling with the idea of going, sign up. You don't have to go. Just, just learn. If you've never been on an a, a overseas mission, don't be afraid. Um, I'm not going to lie to you and say it's easy. It was very, very, very hard. Um, there were very hard things that happened there. There were things that we experienced that we'd never seen before uh, living here. I've been on third world missions before, but um, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And to walk up on houses where there are 15, 20 people living in a house that has one room, no bathroom, it, it will hit you forever. And our goal isn't to go there and tell them they're doing it wrong. Our goal is to figure out how do we love you and how do we care for you in ways that you guys can experience Jesus. And so we're going to go back this summer. We're going to go to church with them. We're going to celebrate with them. We're going to run programs for kids and families. We're going to meet their neighbors with them. And we can't wait to see what God does through this. Not just in Haiti, but the reality is, what does it do to this church? How does this change how we feel burdens? How does this change how we love a city? And and, and the reality is, guys, the reason why we do this is because Jesus He is impacted by our burdens. He feels it. It upsets him. He doesn't want that to happen. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about brokenness. Pain isn't God's plan. Pain wasn't something God created so that we felt it. Pain was something that came as a result of sin, but it wasn't what God wanted for us. And so every time we feel that burden, every time we, we feel that for our friends or our city, Jesus feels that tenfold. But one of the ways that he helps resolve those burdens 
and to show people that there's hope is through his church. And I hope and I pray that we can be that church that feels those burdens and acts and does something about it and tries to show people that Jesus cares for you and you're not alone. Let's pray. God, um, there are a lot of people here today that would say um, that they really wish this last week didn't happen. Um, Last month didn't happen. Last year didn't happen. God, there are people here who wake up every day feeling burdened. Maybe it's a burden they feel. It's their burden. Sometimes it's for other people. Sometimes it's for a community that they don't even know, but they know exists, and they don't know how to reach that community. And so, God, we're thankful that first, that you're impacted by those burdens, that you feel them and that they matter. And God, we're thankful that you use a church to show people that they, they are seen and that they're not alone. God, I pray that we can be that church. God, I pray that we can be that church uh, right here in Frederick. Uh, God, I pray that, that we have the opportunity not just to feed kids once, but to change their lives forever. And God, we don't know what that looks like yet, but we keep praying, God, show us something, show us something. God, those burdens are not small, and we want to be a part of the solution. And God, we're thankful we have the opportunity to see that overseas as well. God, that we get to go see what your kingdom looks like and what your church looks like and what, what people look like to the ends of the earth. God, I pray this week that we feel the burdens of the people around us and, and that we don't just feel them, but God, that we act. And God, that we act because you act. Because you felt those burdens first. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.